Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, King of the Live, with a new episode, a new adventure, and a new quest. Uh, what the hell was that? Just thought maybe the audience wanted to hear some hard vaping because it's been a bit for me. So yeah, that's what they wanted to hear. Anyway, did, did you want to try it again? So now you have the you don't have me interrupting you in the, in the intro. No, it's better if while well, if other people are talking while it happens. Okay, good. It's yeah, more true that, to life. Yeah, that's usually where I prefer to have heavy vaping in my intros is right when I'm talking. It's great. It's not distracting. But here we are with another, uh, uh, the first quest in the line of quests for this adventure, the Herald, the last adventure in this campaign, with the quest being the past. For anybody who didn't watch the video for the last one, I don't believe I'm uploading the audio for it. And so I'm going to give basically the cliff notes. If anybody wants to actually watch how it happens, I'm going to leave a little point right here where you can pause it and just go watch that instead. Are you going to tell them where they can watch it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to post the uh, YouTube link on the Twitter page at YGrognard. And I'll... I'll see if I remember to post it in the description for this episode, but I'm going to try to put the YouTube video up there. <laughs> I'm not lying to the people, okay? The, the fucking five people who are out there and all the 15 robots who are listening. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, in the battle that took place, the battle for Endin, uh, our heroes joined forces amongst all the other free peoples of Amaroth who decided to say... Fuck you, queen, stupid callous guy. You can't tell me what to do. And using the conjoined forces of the halflings, the gnomes, the orcs, the goblins, the men, various kinds of men and women, uh, we were able to... Oh, yeah, don't forget the dwarves. And don't forget the thieves. Who else am I forgetting? Anybody else? I don't think I'm forgetting anybody else. Oh, yeah, uh, we had uh, Bacalop, Gelp, and all them, right? Basically, the whole the whole rogues gallery of characters showed up to this event where we unceremoniously dunked nuts on the queen's army, sent them rushing away in full force. We tailed them, destroyed them, and sent the queen scurrying back to wherever it is she came from. Not defeated, <coughs> but fleeing to save her own life. So we begin this quest uh, sort of in the meeting chamber with the Council of Many Colors here as we have all of our 
fancy gnomes in attendance, as well as the leaders of the various armed forces, including our newest leaders, including Norhill, Lord Norhill, and our King Jarzak, um, as well as the Queen of the Elves in attendance, um, and obviously Aldo felt thistle and all them. But uh, yeah, basically we begin with the party uh, a couple days after the battle where all the bodies have been sorted out and everything's kind of been taken tally of the payment for the thieves being given and the thieves having left. Um, provided a great service, by the way. Um, very good investment of our, <laughs> our collective funds. But our party begins here where the council is meeting and discussing uh, what it is they are to do next. The Queen of the Elves has sort of taken up a, a role here as being sort of the main spokesperson, I guess you could say, uh, whether or not because she has the best ideas or the fact that as an elf, she's just that, you know, astonishing to look at and to behold her presence. Most people here not having even seen an elf, let alone having, you know, seen the Queen of the Elves here. But um, did she get a mind, haircut? Did she get a haircut? Yes. No, she did. She did not. How did you? Ooh, that's a lot to move around with. Oh yeah, no, she's got it up in one gigantic up. That's several humans in weight of hair. I'd say she's got a strong neck. <laughs> shoulders, like I bet you, she has like a super like thick veiny neck and like shoulders like super built, just, like right up in this area. If Lord of the Rings taught me anything about that. <laughs> That it's light, strong, and makes very good rope. Oh, they sound like bitches. So Jesus. <laughs> well, that, Anton slaps the queen and says, shut up, bitch. But um, with that, Queen Paleotreides, uh, she speaks up and says in a, a very fine and regal way, we have won a great battle here. We have killed many of foe, and we have sent many of them running away. At the force of our great conjoined armies, we should all be proud of our peoples, proud of our spirit, and we should lament those who have died up to this point, who could not see the glory of our conquests and our victory, and they could not see the power of our conjoined leaderships and our desire for freedom from this enemy. I approach you all in this meeting in order to reckon a cause, a quest, a need. We all know who brought us all here today, and it is no small feat for these four individuals to have done this. But I think it is high time we discuss the future of our role. And in order to discuss this future, we must discuss who is necessary in completing this. And with that, Queen Palliatreides turns to you guys and individually looks at each one of you. And the whole room looks at you, having no question as to who this could be about. And she essentially says, you are all bound by destiny. And she kind of looks to Klika and gives a small, tiny, itsy-bitsy little of a wink. And she says, and it is no small feat for what you have done here. But as you can tell very clearly, the queen still lives and there is much that needs to be done. As you have come here a week and some time ago, you have brought us a gift that may greatly alter our future and impact what we do next. And with that, one of the gnomes presents the piece of the silver 
that perfect immortal steel there, that perfect slab of metal has been perfectly molded thanks to the infernal raging fires of Cherish Hesdarun. And as they unravel it from its fine silk, they show it to you guys and they in the rest of the council. And people ooh and ah in astonishment. And every one of you knows that that steel may not weigh more than 10 pounds, but with it comes the weight of having promised something you don't know. And each and every one of you knows the weight of that piece of metal is much greater than what is held in hand. And so with that, the metal is clothed back over and the person holding it steps aside. And the queen again gives a grand swooping gesture and says, it is time we send Ira home and it is high time that our companions, these heroes of the land, go to the land of immortals themselves and in some capacity either warn the immortals of what is coming or perhaps gain us some sort of aid. Hopefully the immortals will understand our plight and they will do what they can to help us in our time of need. From what our scouts tell us, the Herald of Steel has near completed his spire. And with that in mind, our time may be short. We may only have months, weeks, or even days. And thus, I wouldn't rely this sort of quest onto anybody else, nor would any member of this council hope this to fall in anybody else's hands, but the hands that could be trusted more than anyone else. I turn to you, Anton of Glorywig, Lord Norhill Hammerstone, King Jarzak, and Klika, the child of destiny, to hopefully venture to this strange land that we have only heard of in dreams and in stories told long ago, and hopefully, hopefully, make something of a difference and save our realm. Do you accept this quest? On my honor, I accept. Yeah, Klika, Klika could do that. Waiting for a no. No. Yeah, guys. <laughs> did, did, did you just hear what they asked us to do? It was the land of the immortals. I looked toward Klika and I said, actually, mm, let's, let's Let's discuss this later. And Anton just gives a nod and he says, Well, it will be interesting if I do meet the Illuminator. That would be very interesting. He just kind of thinks about that and gets a little fanboy about it. Okay, yeah. It's we're like, oh we're good then. Everybody's in, definitely. I'm your biggest fan. He's going to freak out. <laughs> Okay. And so with that, the room ignites into a, a group of cheers. I mean, again, you guys battled an army perfectly matching your size, if not greater, and managed to turn their tails in a battle that would have seemed like they had the upper hand. You guys are sort of riding on glorious battle, and at this point in time, it seems like nothing can stop you. But I think it's very clear from what Jarzak and Anton were sensing there that it's like, eh. I mean, you know, <laughs> there are some things that might stop us. Um, but at this point in time, 
um, the group of them, very politically speaking, break off into smaller subgroups and discuss the futures of the realms. But it seems very clear which groups speak to one another, as it seems like the gnomes and the halflings kind of keep to their own speaking with the dwarves. The elves in council here seem to be talking amongst themselves. And it seems like the king of Ascabellum, who is here, King Theron, he seems to be speaking with Ira, and um, the orcs are kind of on their own here, kind of treated as outsiders. So I guess my question is, would you guys like to do anything while they're all kind of having their small talk with their hors d'oeuvres? Let's set up some meat cutes. You say meat cubes? I love meat cubes. <laughs> that like too. You get you get some meat cutes at the meat cubes. Phantom's just wondering, he's trying to think of like maybe like finding a way to bring up Domero to Klika. Maybe he we can get some kind of guide when we cross over. That would be kind of helpful. Because at the end of the day, we don't know what these gods are like. Anton's been praying the Illuminator his whole life. He can end up being not a nice dude. Uh, yeah, so yeah, as it always happens, guys, you know, we're not immortal, right? Well, I mean, none of us have died yet. Oh, you can't prove that, Jarzak. Shit, <laughs> yeah, got me. Uh, stabbed yeah, Anton in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> I understand your reservation, Jarzak. However, who else is suited to the task? And we did say we were gonna at least take Ira back to the portal. Might as well just walk through it while we're there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the plan. Okay. The sort of insinuation you guys get from this is that because Ira is not only an immortal, but an immortal god, her going through that portal means she's becoming one again with the 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 plane that she is part of. Meaning as, she, as soon as she goes through, she could dissipate completely into a, like an essence. She could be a person. It's hard to tell. But the idea is that because she is one with that plane of existence and exists as basically a constellation of stars broken away from the great gods from before. I mean, when she goes through, she could turn to nothingness and you guys could pop out the other end of a portal and be absolutely by yourselves out there. So delivering her is the easy part. Could could the Zebra be there just waiting for us? Yeah, you know. Yes, he definitely uh, could. (laughs) He's he's been known to hang around those parts. He comes here looking for us, and if we go there, he's definitely gonna be, you know. I can't say definitely. He, I don't know. Maybe he's just hanging out here, so he uh, won't even I know. I hope not. Yeah, he doesn't track my movements any way possible at all. Jarzak just wiggles mm. his fingers. <laughs> not anymore, I should hope. We removed the curse. That is true. I mean, with the battle with your brother, you did remove the the big deception that kind of bound you to the deceiver in the first place. So even you can tell from the weight of the gauntlet that it's starting to feel even warmer to the touch, as if it's like actually taking on like a body temperature. You know what I mean? 
and it's starting to feel much less like some weird cursed object on your arm and starting to feel more like just a magical device you know as the days go farther and you become much more of your wholesome self it's starting to become more understandably like i know less corrupt and evil and spooky i mean when was the last time we saw jug or bugs crawl out of jarzak's skin you know i mean they've got to all be out by now <laughs> have you been taking your heart guard <laughs> but okay so was there anybody you guys wanted to specifically talk to here at this meeting not specifically but norhill is going to try to like play court a little bit and you know talk to each of the different leaders uh hopefully with uh jarzak's help but his sort of underlying goal in making all the small talk, proposing toasts, uh, you know, talking logistics with different people is to get the various leaders to talk to each other. Okay. Trying to triangulate. And you said you're going to have Jarzak help with this? Yeah. Like, you know, if we can immediately get, like, you know, the King of the Orcs and the King of the Dwarves on the same page and openly talking to each other. It should be easy to get anybody else. Uh, a couple of here. Okay. So um, I'll tell you what. I'll say that because you have that argument behind you, I'll let you roll an advantage uh, on certain charisma checks to start getting conversations going. I don't know which conversational skill you want to use, but you can pick one of them to roll with. Uh, well, let's see. Intimidation is the one that I'm proficient in, but it's sounding like persuasion is going to be. We can... I use diplomacy. I was going to say we. Can... I almost. I was so close to saying diplomacy. Intimidate everyone into being friends. Just intimidate everyone. I mean, will be there to help too. Yeah, I mean, intimidation doesn't necessarily have to mean you intimidate them directly. It could be a forcible sense of charisma where you're just like, the earth will tremble before us. We have crushed those enemies, and together we will crush them all. Like, just terrifying people into believing you. You know what I mean? Kind of like a good threat. Yeah, okay. I, I, I can see it. I can see it. And that's definitely a very Norhill way to approach it. A, a hortatory threat where you're just like, let us kill the enemy, not go kill that enemy. Yeah. Yeah. So. And Jarzak was going to do what? Were you just making a joke about diplomacy? Is that it? Oh, yeah. Because you usually call it diplomacy. (laughs) Or you used to a lot. (laughs) Well, look at me now. Uh, So, Norhill got a 15 on that uh, in in intimidation chat. Look at all of us together uh, in in one place. uh, So many kinds from all corners of the world. Uh, together, no no enemy force can withstand our might. Who was that directed at? Uh, that'll be like the first big toast to sort of, you know, get everybody to expect Norhill to be talking to them. I'll say that the the humans and the gnomes and the halflings and the orcs definitely enjoy this, but the elves seem to be a little bit turned off by this sort of like conquest and strength and this is not a day to be like yay they're like we had people who live forever die outside of our forest and now they're never gonna leave the forest here with a bunch of fucking gnomes like they're gonna haunt that forest it's like 20 square feet of trees (laughs) and you're like let's go squish them 
but it does seem to get people willing to cheer for it. You know, it's not that the elves are turned off from it, but they're just not particularly moved by something like that. You know what I mean? Do any of the elves like actively bring up that talking point to either Norhill or Jarzai? Well, but I would say that judging from what you know of the elves and how much you despise them, it's clear to see that this is a kind of thing <laughs> you would say to irritate. Uh, would Jarzak notice that they're kind of not about this? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jarzak's going to try to somehow persuade them to listen to Norhill for a minute. Just I, is, too, was once an elf. <laughs> now you this is smile it. in your shoes. And <laughs> I did. <laughs> We appreciate the help of your people here today. And I know the loss has been great, but we need to, uh, we got to have a talk with everyone. So it's time to pep up and listen up. Okay. So go ahead and roll that persuasion. Uh, 32. Damn. So seeing the scarred and pale uh, revenant king here, Jarzak, who has come back to his land after exile, conquered his brother, and then also shown his ability as a leader, a diplomat, and a warlord, uh, the people all kind of look at Jarzak not as a novelty, but as an expression of independence and freedom. And so when he mentions, it's time to take a step back, look past these differences and recognize what he's saying, People are very moved by this. And for what it's worth, having known you to travel these lands across enemy lines and look past, you know, your people's differences in order to make this connection. I mean, people are definitely moved by your point. And everybody seems very much so, I don't know, more invested in the idea that they're all here together rather than just like, you know, individual groups united. They do feel a sense of like, well, you know, again, if Norhill and Jarzak are buddies, and if Jarzak's walked all these miles and been through this much hardship and survived it and conquered it, yes, just like they've Jarzak. got a point. But yeah, okay. So that the room of people seem to be more eager and less about small conversation. And it seems like people now are starting to exchange more glances, handshakes, and in interactions with people that they were not talking to before. So it does seem like the room starts to light up a little bit more with a, a more of a sense of like. I don't want to say this like there's a collective sense of loss a collective sense of glory and people seem to be more united than they did before it's not that they're all together in a salad bowl this is the the melting pot of amroth at this point you know what i mean elves are are saying poetry humans can't understand and being enamored by the dwarves <laughs> and the orcs are practicing wrestling moves that they learned at the same inn down the street you know what i mean Halflings and gnomes blowing smoke rings just to irritate the monks. You know what I mean? It, you know, the stuff that you do. Jarzak leans over to Norhill and just softly says, uh, I'm not sure if this is what you wanted, but uh, good job. The only way we're going to survive this is together. And I don't just mean uh, the war with the Herald of Steel. Uh, yeah, even mean, when he's gone and his threat will be put to rest. No, we've been together the just, whole time. You don't just mobilize the most powerful armies the land has ever seen and 
and expect that sort of might to just go away. But if afterwards everybody has found themselves bound in friendship, it seems to me that there will be, it, it will be less likely for somebody who's come out slightly the stronger at the end of this war to immediately begin the next. Oh, Which, well then, your plan worked. I was going to say, I mean, that's kind of a powerful statement, all things considered. Especially when you look even at Anton, who I imagine at this point, Anton's probably looked around the room and seen a lot of people who are very clearly from like the kingdom of Amaroth, which now Anton is representative, like chair representative of the sovereign state of Glory Wake. And looking back at these people who he's now politically misaligned with, I mean, it's a very tender wound knowing that like they left, potentially abandoning them. And I, I use a very ambiguous pronoun here because it's hard to see the directionality of who left who in the dust. But having these speeches tossed back and forth a couple of the, um, let's say, higher-ranking rangers from Amarathians, rangers, come over to Anton and greet him warmly with a couple of handshakes and some head nods and basically say that they saw Anton out there on the battlefield. They saw him with the horn and they saw him doing his rightful part out there, definitely not hiding within the city walls and offering bread instead of fighting. But basically they say that hopefully if what you know everybody says is true, Perhaps one day you, Amaroth may again be united. There is much of the past I still must recollect on. Many things happened when I was away from home. Many things I still don't fully understand. I have to understand why the changes are made and how to best reunite us, if that is in my power. That one of them reaches in and he says, I, I don't mean to speak out of hand, uh, Saint Anton, but it, if it is true what Jezorn, the old leader of, of the Rangers Guard, said, I mean, you are great people, and hopefully you can look past what has happened here and recognize that the your, your nation... We didn't abandon you. We were given explicit orders by the queen and having seen, you know, the, the situation, I mean, we, we would never have broken away if, well, you know, and it seems like he's kind of hinting at the fact that, no, the queen being a demon and sowing their fate has to be destroyed. He's like, you know, we did a lot of bad things, but this was under the direct rulership of a very corrupt entity of purest evil. So he's like, you know, I understand, but if you are a forgiving person who offers much charity, uh... but it is so easy for me to be angry with everything that happens, to be angry with many people's have caused my people pain but that is the benefit the terrible benefit of facing the great evil it's no longer my people anymore it's everyone's peoples we're all just trying to protect ourselves and each other in some ways and at least 
after everything that's happened, Glory Week does have a chance. And now with all of everything uniting with the orcs, the hopefully reuniting of Amaroth and freeing us of a demon queen, I don't see why we can mend, why we can't mend this. And with that, they definitely nod a few times and you see a sense of like a slight sense of warmth come to their faces as you mentioned i mean it's going to be months of hardship before there's any sense of you know peace or or anything reminiscent of peace and so with that they sort of have the best optimistic approach they can at this point after what you've said and again they reach in for a bit of a handshake and offer their respects before bowing out and walking away and when Anton looks off to the distance and sees Klika, Queen Paleotreides has approached Klika and seems to have put a gentle hand upon her shoulder. And at this point, what's Klika doing? As soon as Klika realized that this was going to be like a more formal event, she quickly scurried off, changed into her one nice set of clothes that has seen quite a bit of use at this point uh got herself niced up you know and then just pop back out right exactly where she was when she left and acted like she hadn't just done that and then was sort of just happily watching her three companions sort of go about the business that they have to go about because of who they are now Right, so Queen Paleo Traides kind of came over and tucked the tag in the back of your dress back in under your neck there, so it's not sticking out like it yep. was. And <laughs> shivers. <sighs> she basically turns to you and she says, your friends have done very well. Yeah. Um, Cleek always knew that those three were really special. Well, I think they also think that you're very special. And I think that everybody here thinks you're very special, but I think they probably recognize your importance rather than just your uniqueness. I think it's safe to say that many of us have not seen a, a goblin rise to such stature and such import as yourself. And I think it's safe to say that we all know why that is. But... I have done much thinking, and I've done much reading, and I've sought many things in the chronicled past of the elves, and I'm afraid of what you may find out when you travel to the land of immortals. And I want you to prepare your heart for whatever it is that you hear, and I want you to remember that you are perfect the way you are, you are special, and everybody loves you. Oh, um, Klika sort of thinks about writing all that down. It's like, thinks, he's like, no, I can remember all that right off the top of my head, I think. And she realizes how actually, like, kind and nice it is to hear that from someone, especially for Klika, who never really had adult figures in her life that sort of gave her that sort of praise or recognition and like 
stops trying to like analyze and take everything quite so literally and just uh quickly runs over and gives the uh queen a hug and with that she hugs you back and people kind of look over here and see it and you see a couple of cherubic looking halflings who happen to be of high esteem to aldo Felthistle, kind of point and giggle a couple times rosy cheeked they kind of awe and turn their heads to the side and the queen gives kind of a a shaking nod not in a way of disapproval but in like a oh clica kind of way and with that she turns to clica again looking down at you from this height difference here i know clica's the tallest but somehow the elf is still taller but looks down at clica and says there's just a hard slant in the room yeah it's (laughs) it's a real hard angle um but she says I mean what I said, and I want you to remember that no matter what the stars have done to bring us here, it is your heart, your valor, your valor, and the truth of your being that keeps us all where we are. I want you to remember that. I must take my leave tomorrow, so in the morning we will discuss further plans and questing. But tonight is a night to be rejoiced, and it is a tonight is a night for you to sort of bask in the delights of having brought so many people so close together. Um, Klika just wanted to say that she knows how she thinks maybe you were the one who fought to bring the elves here today, and maybe you were the one who suggested that the elves go in defense of um, Fort Evergreen and the area around there. Um, she knows how much that must have taken to ask that of your people. And she's really thankful that you did. Um, while Clica was at um, Fort Evergreen, she found um, the final resting place of. Um, Shirathal, um, Thantil, and she returned his necklace to him. With that, she says, though I was feeling a sense that I must involve myself in this warfare, it was the actions of a particular elf who forced into exile, having returned against all of our ethics and all of our cultural codes and norms, he himself made the strongest case that he could. As a being who was willing to forsake everything about him as an elf in order to preserve the good word of your people, Sirithal came to the elves again. He came back to Aeserys, and he stated a case before the Council of Stars, and he told us all what we must do. Sirithal was your strongest advocate, and you must have done something right in order to earn that level of respect from him. But whatever it is that you did for him, he was willing to sacrifice everything, including his own soul, in order to, to at least, I guess, implore us to do whatever we could for you. And are the realms you protect. So... If it is the case Sirithal died in battle, have it be known the last thing he spoke unto elves was of your good deeds and your goodwill. And at this point in time, 
wherever his soul may be. I'm sure it's in a glorious place. I hope so. And so with that, the night continues on in a certain degree of merriment with rises and falls, various, you know, uh, various, um, that's what I'm looking for, toasts, various calls and honor in different cultural codes and dialects um, I think until the night begins to slowly peter off. Maybe like towards the end of the night, Clico wants to try and head out to Enton to the... Um painter she hired some time back mm -hmm. and see if the uh, portrait's done. Sure. And once you go out there in the, the dead of night and knock upon the door, um, a, a little old woman uh, answers the door and mentions that the person who has been painting this at one point in time, her husband, uh, sorry, not one point in time was her husband, but at one point in time had been prepared for fighting and as a little gnome warrior himself was afraid he might lose everything. But having succeeded in that great victory and having watched each of the members of your companions, you know, your party there succeed, ever since that battle had been over, he's found a, a furious sense of purpose and a new muse to complete it. And when she mentions that the artwork is not yet complete, she sort of leads you in in a very giddy way and brings you downstairs to the basement where you can see that the painting is no longer your standard like two foot by three foot painting, but instead is a sprawling mural upon the wall in three separate components filled in with representative members of the different armies. But at the forefront are the members of your companions that uh, make up your little party there. And at this point, the gnome who's painting it turns to you with uh, a look and he sort of glances to you guys a little uh, astonished, takes a knee and lets his little dusty mustache is, uh, dust the floor real quick. And he stands up and he says, I hope you won't be mad that I, I changed the formatting a bit, but no, no, I can't Clay help but say that I'm inspired. And I, I hope that someday, maybe it'll belong in a museum. Clica, it it's everything Clica could have wanted and more. Um, I think I have an idea for the um, name of our of the group or of the piece, if you don't mind me suggesting it. And with that, he says, "I couldn't hope to name this piece if I tried to. I'm I'm sure whatever it is that you you have." in mind is greater than what I could possibly come up with. And so Clicka walks over and whispers in his ear the name of the piece she has in mind. Are we saying that out loud or are we going to... No, I, 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 yeah, I messaged it to you. It's a secret. And so with that, he, he kind of looks confused for a moment and then he looks you up and down one time. His eyes kind of pop open a little bit more and he nods vigorously grabs a little paint palette with all the paints on it and goes back furiously to continue painting and uh, kicks um, wooden leg on the, uh, on the painting there and says, I haven't been able to sleep much, but I promise you it'll be done soon. Soon enough. And she um, kind of scolds him and she says, you have to go to bed at some point. Well, I can, 
at least helpful a little bit with that. And then Klinka just cast Catnap on him and donks out for 10 minutes. I was going to say, he just like smacks face on the painting, rips through it. No. <laughs> like, shit. We got mending, no, he... mending while he's sleeping. <laughs> but he just kind of, his head kind of teeters to the side a little bit and he starts to let out a slow rolling snore. And she looks to you with a look of astonishment and she says, You really are magical, aren't you? Um, yeah, there's a couple things Klika can do. Or that she kind of guides you upstairs where she fixes you some gnomish tea, which is astonishingly earthy with very surprising high notes and tones and very uh, floral bits that kind of come in waves. But it's like, it is like smacks of flavor that come in in weird, like, like tie-dye burst of flavor. So it's, it's definitely not a very like sit down and drink tea. This is a very like you buckle up for gnomish tea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Clinka just sneaks in a couple of the, uh, Candies from Gildo, right? Gilmo, Gildo. Gilmo is in the the weird guy in the first quest. No, no, the um, no. Oh, Aldo Felthistle. Aldo, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which he at the meeting already snuck you a few more candies in your pocket when you weren't looking and didn't recognize you're not wearing pockets, so they just kind of scattered on the floor behind you like wombat poops. Yeah. So. She- Clinka picked them up with Mage Hand and <laughs> snuck them into and her candy you, purse. Yeah, and as you leave that evening and head back to the tower um, to take your place amongst the rest of them, you can see Bacalob Gelp is out here and sort of moving around major structures that have been settled down as defensive or preparations that Anton had requested. So if the people had to leave quickly, they could. And he gives you just a big somber wave as you walk by. And just kind of, you know, just waves to you from a distance. Clicka just shouts back at him. Um, make sure to take care of Shaw. And he starts patting around his pockets, afraid that he might have forgotten Shaw, <laughs> and then pulls that little side satchel and pulls the dog up in his hand like a gerbil. Who's <laughs> the best boy right there? that just thinking about you from like 400 feet away just like oh squish that little dog <laughs> Yo, no, just way bigger than you <laughs> fitting in his hand like a journal resisting the urge to dimension door right next to the pet him yeah so with that the uh evening comes and as the morning comes the uh elves are the first at the meeting and as everybody's brought down for another small banquet of food, uh, the sort of the laying out of the quest begins. And the first thing that they mention is that you guys do need to go to the, the realm of the immortals, the land of the immortals there, the realms of twilight, in order to speak with them, implore them to bulk their defenses and pay attention to what the spire is doing, as well as potentially offer aid to your people, as this war doesn't seem like it's anywhere near over, and if this weapon of mass destruction that he's built is anything as scary as it looks, you guys may need all the help you can get. Um, but the next thing that they mention is that with a being like the Herald of Steel, it seems unlikely that anybody here is well-suited enough to defeat him in his current state, as they've all heard the stories and seen what a, 
an immortal like him is capable of. And thus they suggest that you may have to do something very unorthodox. And with that, Queen Paleodetreides turns to you guys and she says, I wouldn't ask this upon you or ask this of you if, if I wasn't certain that this was our last possible choice. In a different time, I might suggest you go to the Arcane Citadel and speak with the Tome Guard. But from information I've gathered, they've done more to protect themselves than to protect the world. And I don't think that mentality is one that we can really trust to helping us win this fight. Also, they kind of ha- hate Klika, maybe. So with that, the queen kind of just says true, very true, quite true. And she says, and thus, I must request you go somewhere far more sinister, somewhere far more dangerous. And again, I wouldn't trust anybody else to do this and come out of it alive. But knowing your talents and your abilities, I think you may survive such a feat. Hopefully, whatever it is that this being will ask of you, will not be so great that you can't help them and supply them with it. But we need information on what we can possibly do to fix this scenario. And to do this, we may have to bend the rules. We may have to go outside of what is possible in our realm. And for that, we may need to consult one of the greatest mages of our time. But I warn you that this mage is not exactly one to be totally trusted. In one time, he was a great and powerful caster, a wonderful scholar, and one who wanted nothing more than to learn and to uncover the ancient secrets of magic. But now he is nothing more than the remains of an avaricious scholarly host. And I hope that if his lair is still where it is in Firmore, you may have a chance to find wisdom from the great lich Unthrendil. I would, and everybody goes to a complete hush at the first mention of a lich, let alone lich Unthrendil. And so everybody goes dead quiet, faces go pale, and she kind of like hushes the crowd with her own stoic silence. And she says, I will offer you guidance on where this layer may be from what I've uncovered in my scholarly research. But I warn you that he is not to be trusted entirely, and I would never send you to this place if this was not our final and only option. He may uncover some sort of secret to uncovering the immortality, or he may have some sort of desperate plan that can help us. But whatever it is, And she takes off this unbelievably beautiful necklace that she wears that's a giant series of like magically, you know, dazzling gemstones. And she hands it over to Kalika and says, offer it to him as a gift. It is worth more than this city and it is worth more than a kingdom could own in this century. Hopefully... The magics of this ancient relic are enough to earn his respect and his time. But be wise about this. And as she hands it over to you, as if it was nothing more than a napkin or a ketchup packet, she looks to the rest of the group and she says, let this be a sign of the times. 
that I, Queen Paleotreides, am willing to, to, to part with ancient relics of my people, much in the same way that Norhill has forsaken the relics of his people. This is not a time of vanity. This is not a time of remembering things in museums. This is a time for making history, correcting the ailments of the past and paving a future for all of Amroth. I must take my leave, but know that we trust you and we believe in you. Or that the queen and her entourage slowly turn away after giving each of you an individual look and a nod and she walks out and goes through the teleporting portal. Kaliga hesitantly puts on the necklace to keep it safe. You son of a bitch. Kaliga turns into a dragon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but oh, that's what yeah. that does. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, doesn't everybody have one of those? But okay. And so with that, the whole court of people seem to be very confused by this and alarmed by this. And one of the last members of the entourage of the elves hands you guys <laughs> over a very, very well-built bone scroll case. And once you pop it open and look at it, the like almost, I would say like almost silken maps inside of it seem to be perfect condition. And each of them greatly detailed the northwestern reaches of Amaroth leading off into the continent known as Thiramor, and beyond that, the islands that are around it. But Thiramor is very far from here, and it is very isolated in a frozen, desolate wasteland. And so as you guys look at this and look up to see Ira, who has approached you guys, <laughs> she kind of looks to you all and says, I fear my weakness is growing worse, and we must leave. The final battles have taken much from my soul, and we must get going. Do you um? Do you hear Anton when he prays to you? Oh my god! <laughs> she looks over at Anton really quickly and says, "No." Yeah, they both blush and turn away. Ooh! <laughs> Why does he have to keep Seems wishing for it to get bigger? Uh, philosophical questions. Like, who needs a big toe that big? Damn it, Anton, you weird, vain man. <laughs> You're talking about. But no. If that was a serious question, then no, Ira does not hear the, the prayers of Anton. Okay. Well, then, I suppose the time has come for us to begin our journey. We know where we must so go then. and to whom we must speak. So that as she sort of guides you guys on your way out of here and people applaud you as you leave, knowing about your quest and what you have to do, was there anything you guys had to do before you left the city? And potentially this plane of existence? I mean, check in with the old crew, make sure everyone's still around and kicking. Yeah. And for what it's worth, everybody's healthy too. Shereel actually has officially met up with this group and seems to have befriended them as well, having kind of been pulled aside by Auk into a strange game of stones, but 
Auk keeps making very distasteful it's, jokes about. His I was arm. gonna say it's weird that Auk challenged the one-armed man to a game of stones. I still not a hundred percent on how you play stones, so maybe it's fine. It is, I always it is, assumed but... it was like the same game as Go, but I could be wrong. It's very different. There's more more Goliath stuff going on in it, but oh, um, okay. yeah. There's a watermelon that comes in play at one point. It's very complicated, and Ox not good at teaching it. Um, but yeah, Shereel seems to have made friends with this group here and seems to have kind of joined in with their ranks. And so the tavern owned by the dwarves over here on the uh, the corner seems to have taken Did they rebuild spot. it? Yeah, I mean, they're, they built most of it back up. Again, having Bacalop Gelp around has made it a lot easier to, to move just massive heaps of lumber and stuff like that. But yeah, they've they've done pretty well in the time that you guys have been gone to to rebuild good portions of it. So is it fully functional? No, it's more of like a rest stop kind of like check-in tavern with a few different little like cottagey style like outcroppings around it. But the general vibe is still there. But yeah. While we're there, Norhill is just going to check in, make sure that uh, g- uh, generals and ministers have all been properly appointed, and okay. that and with, with that, the, like the sort of like tacit sort of undercurrent that he can't really keep out of any instructions he's giving, you know that he's making sure that everything will keep going even if he doesn't come back. Right, which people kind of get that vibe from you, but that's been how every instruction you've ever given has been, so they're kind of used to it being this way. A very dad-out-to-get-cigarettes-and-milk kind of vibe. But with that, one of the dwarves who approaches you, he says, uh, and he's not part of your council or anything like that, but he turns to you and he says, I just, I needed to get an idea of if you think this is a a good idea or not. Um, Because we have the opportunity to rebuild the tavern and make it better, we've set up a, a spare area here for the wrestling pit. Um, but we uh, also decided to name the tavern, and we wanted to know if you feel okay with such a name. Well, speak it. And so he points to the corner where a couple of dwarves are like scribbling white paint all over a big broad piece of wood that says the succubi scorn. And they're like, what do you think? Ah, serves her right. And they all kind of giggled to themselves, not realizing how awful and, and painful an idea it is to, to put up a sign like this, but that's your crew. And so with that, they all kind of thumbs up and head bonk about it. But yeah, so as you guys, as you leave, having given final instructions, they begin to hoist it up above the door and back a lot seems to be holding it up and kind of chaining it over one of the big hunks of wood that he's hung up here as a sort of a signpost. Liga does want to make sure she checks in with Starbreeze and gives him like, she doesn't know how much time they have. So she gives him an extremely clica explanation of their adventures so far. Pats him on the back and is like, okay, make it a song and walks off. <laughs> and I'll say that from what you've gathered from Starbreeze, he seems to have been very much so affected by this this war and, and the battles that he's taken part in and seen. And he seems to be a lot more cold and somber from what he was before. But seeing you and hearing your stories does perk him up a bit. And he seems to crack a couple of smiles hearing some of the 
very cliff noted stories that you provide him. Was there something uh, Anton or Jarzak wanted to do before we head out? I think, I think Anton's just going to make sure that Shrill has everything like prepped and ready. I, I imagine he imagines that he has everything set for leading Glory Week, but he's just trying to prepare, give him, pass in, onto him as much of his knowledge of just like his experience in the past few months and just of the Illuminator and the Faith in case he doesn't come back. Yeah, and I'll say this much, that Shereel noticing how Anton's laser-focused approach to prepping goes, Shereel puts puts a hand on, on Anton's shoulder and says, listen, those who walk too close to the light and focus too much on the light itself are those who are blinded to the beauty and the warmth. Anton, if this is an opportunity to meet the Illuminator, take it as that. You have done your part, and we will continue on with what you've shown us and what we've learned. But please, don't be blinded by your cause. Take this as an opportunity to learn and to grow. You're not my dad. What would do? <laughs> dad uh, says crying. <laughs> no, you shut up. No, he just gives a nod. He still doesn't know how to feel about that because... The high priest told him the same thing, and I don't think he still gets it. Well, I hope when the Illuminator fucking tells you to chill out, you fucking take a hint. <laughs> the Illuminator's like, oh my god, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. Um, okay, and did Jarzak have anything he wanted to do? Yep. Jarzak's gonna go find Kick. Okay. I mean, Kick's hanging out at the new bar at the Succubus Scorn. And he'll activate his gauntlet so he can talk to him. Okay. Hey, Kick. Yeah, and Kick sort of uh, walks up to you in a very... It's like alien how he does it, but you can tell Kick is feeling a sense of excitement but doesn't know how to handle it because Kick doesn't smile or, like, get giddy. So Kick, upon seeing you, like, hurries over to you with all limbs kind of flailing, but in a very, like, menacing xenomorph kind of way. And when he gets close <laughs> to you, like, tilts his head excitedly, like, taking in the best views of you he can. And with that, as you begin to speak to him, he, like, grasps you and almost hurts you by doing so and says, it has been too long. I have been separated from my clan. Clan Master, brother, how are you? I'm good, Kick. Uh, I, you know, we took over the orcs, so they're on our side now. You so they're got part, a lot bigger, Kick. They're part of our clan. Um, but you know what, Bud? I'm gonna put you in charge. Because I got to go out and do something real quick. <laughs> Huge. You know. And so with that kick just looks to you and questions what an orc is. Me, but less pale, more filled out. You know, do I see any orcs in the bar? 
Uh, they're big goblins. Very well. Are you really appointing Kick to be in charge of your army? Because this is a very, very bad idea. Now, you're... You gotta make sure that, uh... That you don't don't Wait. have them kill people until I'm the way back. I, not to not to to derail this, but the way I had always kind of assumed that this would go for ruling your army is in the same respect that um, Norhill's got like his appointed group. Agarak was the one that you met when you had defeated your brother, and he basically like had the opportunity to challenge you for the throne, but out of respect said he wasn't going to. And he's been like the big mercenary war band leader who marched your people across the continent and respectfully has kind of always been your side, like on your side. And in the same way that everybody respects you for having like gone into exile and came back, kicked your brother's ass and then like took over. And then we're like, you know what? We're going to respect our enemy and we're going to go fight the real bad guy. So he's been kind of like awestruck by your sheer will of force. And I kind of assumed him as just a warband leader would just... Uh, you know, I, I didn't get this story that he was with me the whole time. Uh, it didn't come up much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, then in that case, I, it's very different uh, play where I bring him with me to go meet Kick. You know, it's just <laughs> Agarak doesn't talk much, but he's big and scary, and he just appreciates the fact that you're allowed and talk a lot, so... Yeah, so anyway, Agarak pops up behind you in a scary way. Uh, Agarak, yeah, so I'm going to have to go. You you probably heard. Um, You're in charge until I'm back. This is Kick. He will eat and kill anything you tell him to. Not always in that order. Not always, yes, not always in that order, but he's he's part of our, our clan. Agarak takes sort of a pensive look and kind of lifts an eyebrow and looks, kick up and down and says, what happened to his leg? Uh, he probably cut it off when he got hungry. He looks to you really quickly and looks back at Kick, and Kick turns its head and starts to sniff and like nibble at the edge of of uh, of Darzak's clothing again, out of sheer excitement to see his best buddy in the world again. So he just looks at Kick and he's like, "Uh, okay." And with that, Kick says, "Do I protect this one?" Yes, you protect him. That I'm assuming I'm saying that in some weird bug language. So. Again, you see why Agarak is like <laughs> scared of you, but in a weird way. You're like the wild card in the gang who's definitely not the biggest or the strongest. But for some reason, you wear, you wear a weird cowboy hat, but you're not from anywhere where cowboy hats I'm the hats fucking exist. crazy one. You don't know right? what's so going to happen. <laughs> you just talk bug and have a weird axe that appears in your hand when you command it. Who would question that guy? What is this guy going to try to fight you? You're going to use devil magic and kill him. You have a you have a bug with a peg leg as a best friend who eats things before they die. <laughs> Who's questioning Jarzak? No one knows that Jarzak's <laughs> biggest fear isn't the deceiver. It's Klika. <laughs> but with that, Agarak kind of gives a nod and sort of sizes up kick 
and uh, decides right. to kind of measure Kick's worth in hand-to-hand combat just to kind of get a feel for his fighting style. Karasak was just so, going to suggest that. <laughs> yeah, Kick, Kick asks if there's permission to maim and kill. No. Uh, knock him out, though, if you want. I mean, you can probably get away with maiming Anton's here. Yeah, I, I so, look over, see Anton, and I'm like, go ahead, kick all out. So as they go out into the street, that's actually a very fair match. So as they go out into the street and get into a bit of a, a, a match of fisticuffs and start swinging on each other, I mean, Agarak has greater reach and just delivers a couple of swift kicks to the thing's chest. But every time he kicks, kick kind of like learns to grab on. And so after one of these big kicks to the chest, Kick just grabs onto his leg and like climbs onto his back and starts to strangle him out and just like holds him by his throat. And with that, Agarak just kind of like smacks the ground a couple times to beg for uncle. And as he stands up and his neck is all red and kind of ringed with some lines of blood, he looks to Kick and he gives sort of a nod of like respect. And he says, I don't like him, but I'm glad he's on my side. <laughs> okay, well, he has orders to protect you, so he's probably going to be hanging out with you a lot till I'm back. As he, as he turns around, kicks right behind him, not breathing. <laughs> <He's just> like... <laughs> yeah, just walking in step with him. <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, and so with that, Ira and the group, led by an entourage of gnomes, head off to Goggleglint, where they have sort of a secret tunnel that leads to Boltzcrag and into the lower reaches, where that well, the dark well, is beneath the structure. And after a couple days of travel, the party, alongside Ira, who visually seems to be getting weaker as the days pass, go down to the basement layer here in the well, and you guys can see that that same shimmering silvery portal is still glowing as it does. And Kalika now entering, or at least reaching the bottom of this structure, it begins to like scintillate and vibrate and opalescence, as if you even entering its level seems to make it like wub wub in a weird that's in a way that's very noticeable and dramatic. So who currently is bearing the metal thing? Ah <laughs> oh, shit! Did we leave it again? The elves took oh, it. Guys, there's <laughs> Sarah just, in my just like holding it, like. Wow, uh, those guys were fucking dumb, huh? <laughs> the thieves took it with the money. Unfortunately for them, it's a it's a quest item. We can't get rid of it, so it teleports back to us. And we <laughs> it. So, um, as you guys approach the the chunk of metal, as you come within like five to ten feet, just shoots out from the silk and slams into the portal hole that's missing. And immediately the portal takes on a opaque, starry look, as if you're looking at kind of like a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. And it just sits there perfectly still. And as you guys approach, the room begins to get a lot more cold. And Ira says, I can sense the portal is ready. And she turns to Klika and says, can you feel it? And like she says, you feel almost like a liquid tension as if your blood itself is pulling towards there. You almost feel like a faintness or like a, you know, like a kind of a um, lightheadedness as you approach it or look towards it. Yeah, it makes Klika makes feel weird. And so with that, Ira says, well, my soul longs 
to return to the stars, and I suppose this is the way to do it. Are you all ready? After you, my lady. And so with that, she gives a kind smile and pulls her silvery hair behind her ears and walks towards the portal. And as she touches it, her body stretches like a weird animation in like perfect lines and slurps into it in a very painstaking look. And as she does, you all feel your limbs also begin to like stretch and pull into the portal. And it's immensely cold before becoming a burning pain and sensation. And all of a sudden, everything becomes painfully bright white light before all of a sudden you feel the sensation of your bones being reinserted into flesh, into skin. And you feel the hot sensation of having your bodies exposed to the elements. And then the cold sensation of being starkly thrown back into proper sensation. And as you guys sit down, because your legs can't hold you up, except for Klika, who's kind of used to this feeling, you guys realize that you're in some sort of a strange, illuminated twilight forest with the portal behind you being instead roomed with wood rather than silver. And as you sit here in this strange forest, taking in your senses as your eyes kind of come back to normalcy, that's where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.